invite the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a pleasure it is to gather today in this place that you provided to worship you, Lord, to bring glory to your name through song, Lord, to meet together, Lord, and to hear your word, the most precious part of our lives, hearing the word, Lord, and allowing it to work in and through us, Lord. Grant it, Lord, that you would come today in this service, meet with each one here, Lord, meet with those out on the internet, Lord, those that'll come across to an archive, Lord. We pray that you would be with each one, Lord. Soften our hearts to receive your truth today. And may we serve you with all that we are. In Jesus' name. And the bride said, amen. Amen. He's worthy this morning. Hallelujah. Worthy is the
here today. Oh, just Abby and her husband. Amen. Welcome. God bless you. Let's sing that mighty to save, guys. <clears throat> we kind of reintroduced this song and I'd like to uh, sing that one today. <clears throat> Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Let the whole world 
Yes. My God is mighty. Lift your voices. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all the stealing and you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. There ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is. 
the tears and broken dreams and wasted years and tell your past to disappear oh let me tell you about my jesus and all the wrong turns that you could go and undo if you could he will work it all for your good let me tell you about my about me let me tell you about my Jesus oh he makes a way churches that have, let's just say I'm proud to be at this church because we have a lot of gifted people. <laughs> Can you say amen? <laughs> Oops.
if you come and take up the offering. Andrew, give me a key of that. I've already had church today. Been good. Sunday school, singing. 
That's the goal is to be found at the feet of Jesus. When it's all said and done, the stuff of this life is over. I want to be found at the feet of Jesus. If you have a request upon your hearts this morning, you know that burdens lay down my burdens. If you're living in this life in Laodicea, you got struggles and you got burdens. But to lay them down, that's what keeps us going. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you this morning. Lord, I love you, people. Father, I love your presence when we get together and we just surrender our hearts and our minds, Father, to your presence. And Lord, we thank you for the guidance of your word through the Sunday school today, through the message of the hour, Father. Lord, we'd just be wandering around not knowing what to do, but you wouldn't leave your bride in that condition. You sent a message to guide us home, and we thank you for that, Father. Lord, as I collect the tithes and offerings, I pray that you would bless the cheerful giver. Father, we don't want to just come here and enjoy your presence. We want to be encouraged. We want to be strengthened so that when we leave these doors, Father, we win a battle, but we leave here as victors, for we can do all things through you, Father, that strengthens us. And Father, we thank you for the that you are a man of war, that you are our victory. We thank you for the revelation of faith that is our victory yes. today. I pray that you would bless all that would hear the word today, magnify the gift that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus.
search for yours. Jesus, take my life and lead me on. Oh, Lord, you have my heart, and I
is the truth. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you this morning, friends. Greet you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Just before we turn to our scriptures, let me make a few quick announcements and a couple prayer requests. want to remind our senior youth that our rescheduled meeting, uh, our rescheduled youth meeting is this Friday with Brother Diggs. We had it planned for weeks ago or whatever and we had to postpone it and uh, we had activity conflicts and so we're we've got brother Diggs relined up for this Friday night so we're trusting that you've made your plans to be there um, brother we'll also be having a Saturday men's Bible study breakfast brother Joe Howdeshell will be here they'll be in town uh, this coming or next weekend I should say and um, uh, brother Joe will be ministering that Bible study breakfast, and then on Sunday morning, Brother Joe will be speaking for us here, amen, and then in the afternoon, we're going to have a dinner, amen, um, in honor of the How to Shell family, amen, looking forward to that, so a really busy weekend next weekend. We have a baptism today, praise the Lord, after service, praise the Lord. Sister Melissa has had it on her heart for a while to be rebaptized. Amen. And take, take a, a new public demonstration of her allegiance to the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to be thrilled today uh, to baptize her again. Amen. Here at the end of service. Praise Amen. the Lord. We're still on, Sister Melissa, right? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We got some sick uh, among us, Brother Chris. My son uh, was sick up early this morning. And uh, just a lot of sickness going around everywhere. Sister Joyce is also still recovering. This morning, she's still in the hospital. Last night. Okay. So um, I had had an update from Sister Brenda. She was still having some wheezing, but it's improving. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glad to see her home. Amen. I was going to go by and see her today and encourage her and pray for her, but I'm glad the Lord is bringing her home. Amen. And Sister Brenda says, thank you for your prayers. She is receiving her healing. Amen. You love the Lord? Turn around and shake somebody's hand. Say, God bless you today. Happy to be in the house of God. Doesn't matter how many times you might have done that. Once I come out, you have to do it again. <laughs> I like Nothing like the family of God. Amen. We're going to turn to Luke's gospel this morning. And we're going to go to chapter 12, Luke chapter 12. Catch 49 through 53. Amen. I want to take a title this morning to start a fire, to start a fire. And uh, I want you to just, you know, open up your hearts to the word today uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm going to take the first part of it in a certain way and then we're going to flip the script and take it in another way going on from there. Amen. And I'm so glad. You'll understand why I'm glad the Lord uh, is going to finish it the way that he will. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> you believe we've come to the end of all things, friends? That's true. I do a lot of thinking about the beyond and thinking about what's next. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an encouragement to me because I know that my future is clear. I know that my future is very bright. I know that we have much to look forward to in the world coming. And I'm 
I'm glad. I want to take as many people with me as I can. Y'all want to come along? Amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody want to make it? Amen. Praise the Lord. I want, to, I want to see you make it. I want to see your children. I want to see my family. I want to see my neighbors. I want to see everybody I come in contact with uh, make it to the other side. Now, I don't know who all will make it, but I'm going to make it. Amen. Praise the Lord. I am going to make it. And so uh, I'm glad because the world we live in is, has reached a point, you know, where it's, uh, it's it, life is, is, you know, with under Satan's control for the believer, uh, this world is uh, just a maddening place. And, uh, but yet we have the answer. And I want to deal with that just a little bit about, you know, what sin has done to the world and, and, and the place of the gospel in the world. But I also would like to say to you today that regardless of what Satan has been able to accomplish and regardless of, you know, where you might think of yourself and your own self-assessment might not be too high, but I hope by the end of this sermon, you're going to be in the stratosphere. Amen. Amen, because it was really encouraging to me, praise the Lord. Luke chapter 12, and I, I'm saying all of that because this is a rather ominous text to open with, Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53. I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, and the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. My. Wow. What are you about to preach, Brother Jason? (laughs) I'm going to preach on starting a fire. Amen. Um, Let's let's continue reading. I I, I told the booth we'd stop at 53, but I want to keep going. And he said also to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say there cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right, see? So this is a situation where, you know, the Prince of Peace is bringing a message that don't sound too peaceful. Now that doesn't make him not the Prince of Peace. All right? So what we're going to find out is that the condition of the world, it ain't on him. It's on us. The condition of the world ain't on God. When God built it, he built it perfect. It's mankind that broke it and is still breaking it and in mass refuses to to let it be fixed. Now, I'm glad that the Lord has a chosen people who are not only willing to to let him fix the world, but let him fix us. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word just now as we read it. And Lord, you, you, you've been with me throughout the early morning hours, Lord, as I've said, and just waited for you to put all this together. And it seemed a struggle for me, Lord, but I see my way clear now, and I'm grateful for that. I pray that your great anointing be upon the people. And I don't even know fully what all you want to say, but I'm just here to say it. So, Lord, we give ourselves into your hands completely. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. You can be seated. I remember Brother Jason making uh, a comment that caught my attention some months ago in one of his Sunday school classes, or it might have been a Wednesday night, I can't remember truly. But Brother Jason references Romans chapter 1, and I'm not going to take the time to go there today, but, you know, his point was that all of the elements that Paul listed there in Romans 1, in Romans 1 which, which are dire and disheartening. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's God rendering a verdict of the earth, and it ain't pretty. And we find that it, it was all prophetic because the world wasn't even, had not even reached a point uh, to what Paul was describing. Now, everything he said was in play, but not everything, just like the, the scripture where Paul says to Timothy, at the, in the last days, perilous times shall come. You remember that? And we realize that it wasn't, Paul wasn't suggesting that they didn't have perilous times in his day. It was just simply pointing out prophetically that at the end time, if you think it's perilous now, wait till you get there. And you know, the Lord did not allow, Brother Branham tells us how that the Lord did not allow the early church to know all about how that he wouldn't actually come in their lifetime. They all believed his coming was imminent, that he wouldn't even tarry. But he, he and according, and in God's mind, he has not tarried. I mean, to, to, in God's time, it's only been a couple of days. See, so that's why the apostle will say he'll come and he won't tarry. He hasn't tarried in his time frame. But just remember his ways are not like yours. Don't go judging God by your standards. Because you're just a little pepper speck sitting on a little dot hanging in space that can barely be seen from, you know, from our, our, our Voyager spacecraft looking back, sees the earth as barely a little blue, faint little blue dot against a, a vast expanse where Brother Branham, and I'm aware that Brother Branham talks about how they're looking through a curve, but we don't understand what that means. I do know that Brother Branham did, uh, he did verify that uh, that when science looks, when we look up at stars and science says that those stars which look close together are further apart from each other than we are from them. Yeah. And, and Brother Branham verifies that. They, I mean, listen, friends, it's worlds of worlds. Yeah. And they have certainly believe, and they certainly believe that, that 
that the universe is even ever expanding. And I've always just said, well, that's a good thing because an ever expanding kingdom of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. An ever increasing kingdom is going to need an ever increasing universe. So, oh my, what's ahead of us? But we have to, while we look forward to that, we have to deal with the here and now. We have to be real. We have to understand that this isn't just some dream that we're living. This is real life happening in real time. And it's all purpose driven. God has a reason for you being here. God has a reason for you being here right now. Not back there in Paul's day when Paul was looking ahead saying perilous times are coming and they're going to be uniquely worse. And in Romans chapter 1, all of the various things that he uses to describe what's coming, uh, you're here. This is, you're it. Tag, you're it. And, and, they, and as I said, Brother Branham said, God didn't let them know that it was going to be 2,000 years of history and seven contiguous church ages. But, but, but because he said two, for two reasons, number one, it would, have, it would have discouraged them, but it would have also taken away their zeal because why, why press if you don't feel like it's imminent? Oh, it's not coming in my lifetime anyway. Hey, can I say to you today, there ain't no more ages. There ain't no more messengers. There's no more time remaining. You're, this is it. We're not at the end time. We're at the end of the end time. And so it would be most foolish to bet against the scripture and think that life is just going to go on and on and on. I'm, I'm not here to suggest to you that that won't happen. I'm here to tell you emphatically it can't happen. He is finished with the age of mankind living in a fallen condition. Brother Branham calls it that, the age of man. And I, I don't, I don't speculate on what that might mean. I, I've often wondered, you know, how did, how did humans, you know, coexist with dinosaurs and maybe were they, when were they destroyed? Were they tame? Was that before the fall? Was that, I mean, how did they run from them? When, when did all this happen? Was that in Noah's day? I don't know the answers to that. I know we'll understand it better by and by. But I know that the prophet talks about an age of man. Maybe there was a time that they were here before man. I don't know. Brother Branham talks about a, a, a ruined civilization, some pre-existing civilization. We don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm here right now. And I got I to gotta deal with life head on as it comes to me. There's no getting out of it, getting around it, or getting by, getting by it. Jesus started a fire, and you're going to have to go through it. The Hebrew children... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could not avoid it. They had to go through that fire to seal their testimony, and so do you. So since you have to go through it, and you can't get out of it, may I suggest the fourth man? May I suggest that you have the fourth man in the fire? Say, I want the Lord Jesus. Well, they did too. He was in the fire. So don't run from it. Don't cry over it. Don't collapse over it. Face it. He's there. He's with you wherever you go. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And it was incredible how that Brother Jason showed that list in Romans 1 that nearly every last single one of the elements Paul describes, if not all of them, are either, either mostly, almost entirely history. They were prophecy when Paul wrote them. They're history today. And, and even, even, even the last ones, maybe we're at the very last one and it's being fulfilled as we speak. In Luke 12 and 50, where we read in the Woost expanded translation, it says it like this. Moreover, I have an immersion by which I will be overwhelmed. And uh, let, let, me, let me refresh you from the King James. But, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? From the Woost expanded translation, moreover... I have an immersion by which I will be overwhelmed. Now you would think that Jesus would have been, his next line would have been, so I'm running for the hills. That's what humans would normally do. If you found out that there's suffering ahead of you, you're going to run the other way. If you find out that somebody is plotting evil against you, you're not just going to keep going forward as if you hope it happens. But then again, you're not the Lord. He says, I have an immersion by which I will be overwhelmed. How am I hard pressed from every side until it be consummated? He, he, he just wanted to get it over with. They, they said they wanted to make him a king. Lord, don't do it. And he said, the cup, my father has given me to drink? What are you suggesting, Simon? That I not drink it? I, I remember, um, was it Brother uh, Stephen Coffey was ministering here and talking about how he was going back there referring to Brother Branham in the quotes and Brother I'm talking about Jesus, you know, he didn't want to die. He didn't have a death wish. He had his brethren. He loved life. He loved his brethren. He didn't want to die. He had a will, but he, he, he found a way to surrender and say, not my will, thy will be done. Friends, that's got to be our heart. It is to say, not my will, ultimately, Lord, not my will, thine be done. As long as you have confidence that, that he's not going to lose you and that he can, he can hold on, and even if you go to the grave, he can raise you up. And that he will never, you're in, your fi- in his father's hand and you can never be lost from it. What a confidence it ought to give us. And how that Jesus was, Brother Stephen was saying, uh, how that here he's sitting around the fire because he was just a man who sat around the fire with his disciples and he loved them and they laughed and they had fellowship and just like we would sit around and laugh and have fellowship and Talk about the good things of God. Brother Branham on Testimony on the Sea. He's got all the disciples out there in a boat and everybody's vying. Let me tell it. Let me tell my testimony. No, wait. No, no, hold on. I want to tell mine first. They all want to tell of the great things. Oh, I remember when he came down that day and took those, and, and he took those fish and those loaves and I watched it multiply right in front of my eyes. Oh, my, what a story. Well, what about that time we were thought we were doing doomed, boys? We thought we were finished, and here he comes walking on the water, and 
And at first we thought it was a ghost and started screaming bloody murder. And he ran up to the boat on the water and said, calm down, it's me. And he said, and then suddenly we're at the shore. He just teleported us from the middle of a raging sea. He can do that today. He can teleport you. He can transport you from a raging inferno, just like the three Hebrew boys, and just take you right through it. And there won't even be the smell of smoke on your garments. He can take you. You're in the middle of a raging storm. He can put you on the shore right now. See? So... From Eugene Peterson's uh, translation called The Message, he, in, in verses 49 to 53 where we've read, Peterson translates it like this. I've come to start a fire on this earth. How I wish it were blazing right now. I have come to change everything. Now, this is, this is some different language from the lowly Nazarene. Suddenly now, the lowly Nazarene walking the shores of Galilee, going about doing good with gentle words and a gentle touch and embraced children and blessed them and raised the dead and, 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 was, and had compassion upon people. And now here he's saying, hey, I've come to start a fire on this earth. And in fact is, I wish it were blazing right now. I've come to change everything. Lord, what do you mean? Turn everything right side up. How I long for it to be finished. God, he's not, he's not, you know, it's not a death wish. He's not, he's not a, 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 a purveyor of doom and gloom. He's just simply, you're here today saying, oh, I just wish it was over. He was saying that 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you something. The one who chose you and called you and saved you, he has a kingdom and he desires you to be there more than you desire to be there. But, but he knows best how to get you there. And that's where trust comes in. Where we have to have confidence. He goes on in Peterson's translation here, those 49 to 53. Do you think? This is Jesus. Do you think I came to smooth things over and make everything nice? Not so. Not so. I've come to disrupt and confront. From now on, when you find five in a house, it will be a father against a son, a son against a father, a mother against a daughter, a daughter against her mother. And, 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 and I just say to you today, friends, that while this is shocking to hear the gentle Savior say, but sometimes this kind of shock is necessary to awaken people from some kind of a dream-like stupor or blindness that we walk around in and we have to go, oh my goodness. And God uses these kinds of things. There is, in case you didn't know it, Say, what is wrong with the world? And everybody's asking that. Everybody's saying, what is wrong with the world? And, and you, you can't hardly find the man on the street who sees, you know, we, 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 my wife and I were talking about just this morning and, and I, they're talking about, you know, the, the COVID and how many strains of COVID and, 
And, it, and it's only, and there's so many more. And I said, well, you know, it's, I stood in, a pool, in this pulpit several years ago. And I said, we're not going to fear it because there'll only be five more behind it. And 10 more behind those five. And then 10 more behind those 10. It's not going to get better. Brother Ram says, no peace till Jesus comes. Brother Branham fell under, under prophecy and fell into a vision and came out of that vision and said, Thus saith the Lord, if you ever see Mussolini head to Ethiopia, then from that point there will be no peace in the earth until Jesus comes. And he said they, wanted to, they, they were threatening to arrest me for saying something like that. That I was, you know, they, 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 wanted, they wanted to kind of, you know, accuse him of stirring up a riot and an insurrection. And he, all he was doing was saying what God had showed him. But what the, what the blind world couldn't see is his prophecy was connecting to the trumpets and the vials. Not here to preach on that today, but it was perfect. And, and, it, and it, the, if the first world produced a, a, world, a first world war and a second woe produced a second world war, and the second woe doesn't even end till you're already in the tribulation, then you tell me where's the breather? We're going to get a breather. No, we're not. The world has constantly been at war since that hour, and it won't be peaceful until Christ comes and sets up a millennium, and the second woe doesn't even end until Revelation 11. We're already gone. Moses and Elijah have now been martyred. The 144,000 are martyred. The foolish virgin are martyred. And the Bible says the end of the second woe. Now cometh the third woe quickly. Oh, I'm here to tell you something, friends. Hide me in the cliff of the rock. You think the world is troubled now? You can't spell trouble compared to what's happening. And you say, I just want it to be over. So does the Lord. And people say, what is wrong with the world? And, you know, and I, and I, and I just read an article, you know, and they're, they're saying there's so many variations of COVID now and it's only not a new pandemic because it's not killing people. It's, it's just mild flu, but there's so many variations. And I just read a headline just, just yesterday or the day before and it said, and the headline was, why are all my friends sick? And everybody's sick and we're constantly hearing it. We got sick people out today and we had them last week and the week before. Oh, I'm here to tell you. And, and then you've got the insanity of that's going on in the world. And I'm just talking about wars and rumors of wars. You always, Jesus said you have that, but the end is not yet. Wars and rumors of wars just simply are the judgments pouring out. But there are certain things that he said when you see this now, then look up your redemption draweth nigh. He would say in another place, when you see this, this, and the other, then know that summer is nice. So we, we get these clues to, to show that we're at the end time. And the whole world, you know, is, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've testified to you some, kind of, some couple years ago. Uh, and I, I, I caught the, the, openings, the opening volley of the, you know, the nightly news anchor watching it on a, an, an archive on my laptop. And he opens up with, this is his opening line. Friends, the world is falling apart. That's the opening Walter Cronkite, except it wasn't Cronkite. It was one of our guys right here in the modern day. It was just a couple years ago. The world is falling apart. And the average man on the street shakes his head. You can get a conversation started just like that. And people are just at a loss for what is wrong with the world. And as a preacher, I, 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 I have the answer. 
It's not one that everybody wants to hear because they're hoping it can be fixed politically or economically or something like that or, or somehow love, just love, and then there's music and music can fix it and government can fix it, which can't fix anything. And, and you, I don't mean to say that like that, but, but, but we're all laughing because we know that's the truth. <laughs> kind of like the oxymoron of military intelligence. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, I, I've, I've said to people, and you would be amazed how many people are like, huh? What, where, where's that? What do you mean? I wonder, do people even read the Bible in this country anymore? Or, I don't think they do. I think they just go to these churches and they hear these flower feel-good speeches, you know, where they don't deal with sin and they don't, they don't, they don't identify modern events in prophecy. And I'm, I'm like, well, you do know there's a strong delusion that was to be released on the earth at the end time. A, a what? A what? A strong delusion. What, what does that mean? What does that even mean, preacher? And then you're, you're trying to break it down to say, listen, there's a there's an atmosphere of insanity. Oh, really? Yeah. It's not the seventh vial. It was, a, it was a plague that broke out in the air, and you can't get a vaccine or wear a mask or social distance from it. It's in the atmospheres. It's part of the plagues. Now, it doesn't, thank God, none of those vials come in their fullness until the tribulation period, but all of them, just like the seals, were partially broken open down through history. And plagues drop. Brother Branham said, he says that right on tape. Brother Branham throws up a rock in the air and says, judgment striking the West Coast. Now from here, it'll just get worse and worse and worse. And the world is going to get worse with no let up. I'm here to tell you, for the bride, it'll get worse and worse, but we go up. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. But there is a... Uh, 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 an inbred corruption that has been brought on the earth from the cruelty of sin and the fact that this is Satan's Eden and mankind has been eating from the tree of knowledge and, and that has perverted... I mean, listen, friends, even biologically, that has perverted the gene pool of humanity. Amen. Absolutely. You know, they... They, they, you know, I, I had somebody say to me one time, said <clears throat> that uh, homosexuality, it, it can be proven by scientific that, it, that it's in the genes. And, and, and so, you know, I said, well, look, I'm, I wouldn't deny at all that we're all born with various propensities. Brother Branham called it weak spots. You have to keep your guard over. It's just, you know, the problem is we just need regene. Come on, that's the real problem. The world has, you were, you were born in sin, but not only that, ages ahead of you were. And by now, Brother Branham said, even went to food and hybrid food and said it's killing our brain cells. And we've got insanity on the streets that a prophet is identifying from hybrid food. I hope you pray over your food. I hope you're like Thomas Jackson who didn't even take a drink of water without thanking God for it. Stonewall Jackson. I'm going to tell you something, friends. This is no time to be away from the pillar of fire. 
This is no time, let me warn you, this is not the hour to be distant from the pillar of fire. He told the Jews, he said, stay close because you're going through a section you've never been here before and you're going to need to stay close. And whenever the trumpet would sound, they had to pack up camp two and a half million people and because the pillar of fire is moving. And as soon as they see it moving, they run to the mountaintop and blow a trumpet. And everybody starts pulling up stakes and packing quickly. He's on the move. Well, if you were somewhere way off in the wilderness and you didn't hear the, the trumpet sound, I'm here to tell you something, friends. The trumpet sounds from here. Don't find your life way off away from hearing the trumpet. Don't let your life get so full of stuff. You don't have time to come to church and hear the word of God. It's a low priority in your life and, er- and everything else is stacked above it. When, I, when a prophet is pleading saying, Jesus wants to be first, don't make him second. He wants to be first in your life. He said, don't make him second. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Amen. Can I? So how do you know? Because I had a prophet say it. Amen. Can I tell you something about Jesus? He don't want to be second. He don't deserve to be second. He wants to be first. He paid a heavy price to be first. But he wants you to let him be first. What wife wants to say to her husband, I order you to tell me you love me. Okay, I love you. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's almost offensive. If I got to tell you, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and those, are, those are things that husbands stand and pledge to. Sure, guys. What do you think, what do you, what do you think cherish means? That's the number one vow I find broken in marriages. Number one vow, the vow to cherish. And, and not very long after matrimony is, is signed, sealed, and delivered, cher- cherishing goes kind of by the wayside. Happens from wives to husbands as well. Love one another. Tell them you love them. Show them you love them. You love the Lord? Tell him. Show him. He loves you. He tells you. He shows you. Does he not? Am I wrong? He shows you he loves you. It has literally polluted the very gene pool of humanity. In this last age, it's, uh, Luke, Luke 12 is just an amazing piece of intel from the heart and mind of the Creator and, and all about His plan. And we find that, that ultimately the plan of the Prince of Peace, that, that ultimately His ministry would not bring peace, but division. And the reason it brings division is that because some would accept what he has to say while others would not accept what he has to say. So the chaos, so the conflict, so the trouble that is in this world is not on God. As I said to you already, it's on mankind. The creator in his grace and his mercy. He doesn't even have to do it. He makes his plan known. But 
Mankind, my goodness, in his seemingly a determined bend. There's like a determined rebellion that works. Mankind just determined to work with all his might. And people go to extraordinary feats and levels to resist the word of God. It's, It's shocking because... They're resisting mercy and life and God doesn't even have to give it to them. I mean, that's messed up. Here is God, not even, he doesn't even have to do it. And he warns you what his life is like and tells you, make sure you do this. And it it actually gets down into the nitty gritty of your life and saying, if you want a good life, then, then, then operate from the operator's manual. Because I, I wrote this for a reason. And this will tell you how to live and this will tell you how to be successful and this will tell you. And the world is going to have a bunch of other voices that might look like it'll give you a better advantage than this, but ultimately that's death and only this is life. I'm I'm sorry, I don't have a third alternative. That's death and this is life. That's it. Make your choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you want to live or do you want to die? That's the bottom line. There's not another, there's not a third answer. But man in, in his determined rebellion, say what makes him so determined? It's the, it's, the, uh, it's the spirit of delusion. A strong delusion that he sends upon the world. And, and the strong delusion is for one purpose. Now it's not cruel in the sense of, in, in the sense of, you know, God is just some unfeeling being who just, here's life, take it or leave it. Follow me or die. That's not his attitude. He, he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world that he laid aside his splendor. Amen. Came down and fashioned himself in the form of sinful man and lived a life just like we do so that he could feel everything you would feel. You think he had to do that? He didn't have to do that at all. He could have absolutely destroyed the world. Jesus said that. Do you think my father wouldn't presently send legions of angels? Amen. Destroy this world, set me free, start over with me. Just start over with me. And then the whole world be populated by me multiplied. God is actually going to do that. But he's, he wasn't going to do it by killing off the world. He was going to do it by sending the gospel to his family. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And this is where... The disharmony in the world comes from. We have to walk in this fire. As I said when I started, just like the three Hebrews, the only way to survive, so let let me say it again, we have to walk in this fire. You have to. No options. There's no out. Okay? There's no get out of jail free card. There's no exit ramp. We all have to walk through this world that is on fire. The only way, help me say the only way. The only way way to survive is to have the fourth man walking with you. But but you have to take a stand for him like they did. Eugene Peterson goes on from verses 54 and 56. Then he turned to the crowd When you see clouds coming in from the west, 
you say, storm's coming, and you're right. And when the wind comes out of the south, you say, this will be a hot one, and you're right. Frauds? Frauds? You know how to tell a change in weather? So don't tell me. You can't tell a change in the season. The God season we're in right now. You know, I, it, I, I, I have no sympathy for people who oppose the word of God. And I have, I have pity, but, but at the same time, you know, while I have human pity, you know, God does it like this. He says, I'll send us, if you choose, if you make the choice, I won't force you, but if you, he says, if you choose to throw me out of your thinking you don't want my word, you're determined to go your own way, fine, then I will send on you a strong delusion so that you'll believe a lie and be damned by it. And why would you do that? So basically, I don't have to mess with you anymore. I'm I'm now justified that I gave you a chance. You won't be able to accuse me on that day. I gave you a chance. You didn't want it. I'm gonna, I got better things to do with my time. I need to save my family. And if you don't want me, fine. Then, then, then have a nice life. This is it. This is all you have. That's, that's why Brother Branham said that we give up our rights. Say, oh yeah, well, a sheep gives up. Not, not just for that reason. Not just because of the Spirit of Christ. But you give up your rights. Brother Branham said, if somebody cuts in front of you in line, let them. You're not from here. They're, they're actually native to here. You're not. You're a citizen from above. You're an alien. You don't have any rights here. These people, this is the only life they'll ever have. You're going to live forever. Amen. Brother Branham even talks about somebody getting pleasure out of his cigarettes and his alcohol. Brother Branham said, don't take that from him. That may be the only pleasure he ever has. Tell him about, you don't have to settle for that. But don't just crush him on it. Don't, don't just make him miserable. I'm not interested in bringing somebody off the street and browbeating them into misery where they get just enough Christianity to make themselves miserable. We're not that. This isn't a prison. This is a hospital. And I'm trying to bring healing. And, but maybe you don't want the medicine. Okay, there's nothing more I can do. I love you. God bless you. But I'm here to tell you there is a balm in Gilead and you don't have to be a prisoner. You don't have to be sick. You can be healed. But choose. These verses from our Lord are exposing the hypocrisy among the religious leaders of his day and they expose the hypocrisy of the religious leaders today. The leaders and the people who had, you know, who had, especially in this day, it exposes the people who had intentionally sought out teachers having itching ears to tell them what they wanted to hear and give them a convenient version of the gospel that they wish was true. The gospel, the version you want to be, that you wish that you want to be true. Itching ears, tell them what they want to hear, and so then they'll believe it. You tell somebody a lie, if it's what they want to hear, they'll believe it. It's very much like Jeremiah in chapter 8, and I'm just going to read you from the Amplified Version. This is, by this point now, Israel's in captivity. Very sad. Israel has been depopulated of the Jews and they're 
now in captivity and God warned them and pleaded with them and sent them prophets and they killed them and send them more prophets and they'd evilly mistreat them and kill them too and and he'd, he'd rise up righteous kings and then finally worse kings and worse kings and worse till finally they just were taken. Israel was taken. The ten tribes were taken uh, by the Assyrians. And then later Judah is taken and Jerusalem is sacked by Nebuchadnezzar. And, and we find that, that Jeremiah comes with this very sad, and this is a, this is a three-way call. Okay, This is, this is like a, a biblical Zoom call. Okay, there's a three-way conversation. I just want to bring you in on that. This is between Jeremiah and the people and God. And Jeremiah says in verse 18, Oh, that I could comfort myself against sorrow. For my grief is beyond healing. My heart is sick and faint within me. Behold, says Jeremiah the prophet, Listen to the voice. Now he's speaking to God. He, he, he's crying out to the Lord. Lord, listen to the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people for help. Because of those who dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? But the Lord answers. Why have they provoked me to anger? with their carved images and with their foreign idols. The people speak up. The people speak up. But the harvest is past. The summer has ended. And the gathering of the fruit is over, yet we're not saved. Jeremiah jumps back in. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I, Jeremiah, hurt. I go around mourning. Dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people restored? And God replies, because Zion is no longer, Zion no longer enjoyed the presence of the great physician. Why is she sick? Why is she not healed? Why, why, why are 33,000 denominational churches filled with sickness? Why are they not healed? Because they have the Bible. Why are they not healed? Because the presence of the great physician is gone. And he, he resides only in one place, in his word. And the only access you have to him is through his word. You can't join a church. You can't have a society. You can't. It's not about a mental assent to doctrinal agreement. It's not about that. It's about your whole heart has been given over to God. It is understandable to feel overwhelmed and discouraged at times. But you know something, friends? I'd like to turn a corner It is understandable. I just want to say to you, it is. The world is a broken, sad place and nature is still beautiful, but mankind has nearly ruined it now. And, you know, it's we can feel overwhelmed and we can all feel discouraged, but I just want to say this to you and I say it to you because the world largely, sadly, 
doesn't really care all that much. They're happy to agree with this statement, but really to have any effect of it in their lives, only God's family is willing to have any effect in their lives. And here's my statement. It is, it, it, it is a, a, a fact that sometimes we get overwhelmed. It is a fact that sometimes we get discouraged. But we should never lose sight of the fact that God still reigns from His throne. He's still in control. Satan cannot and has never defeated him. This benevolent creator, who a prophet in our day described such almost poetry to me. It's not even a sermon. It's it's more like poetry. He describes this creator as a great fountain in the eternities. You're familiar with it. You've read the times where Brother Branham waxes poetic, talks about that great fountain setting in the eternities and how that he designed this world with such great care and such great affection and and, and in fact is his love can be seen in the wonder of nature. His love can be seen in all creation. Amen. Brother Branham says in, he, in his Hebrew series 1957, Now Melchizedek, this is where we were Wednesday night. Now Melchizedek was a priest, was he? Yeah. He, he, is, he is what he was. I'm sorry, here is what he was. Let me start again. Now Melchizedek was a priest, was he? Here is what he was. We find out that God in the beginning was a great fountain of spirit. Boy, that is just a a simple Kentucky way of just, I, I can just get that. He's not using all the Greek and Hebrew and this, you know, and it's just all a bunch of nonsense. I... I read one time, and I did it here in church, and my dad, he, it was one of his favorite memories of me ever in a pulpit. He said, I, he often would say, I love that time when you, you know, gave the, the uh, lexical aid definition to the word in morphe. And, and, you know, I got all the great scholars together, and it was this big wordy, long, this word and that word, and this root word connects to that word, and this means that, and then in, in, in the ancient world, and then coming through the enlightenment, it took on this meaning, and you're just trailing the whole word. And by the time you get done, I was like, filled up the whole screen. I said, okay, everybody got it? And everybody's like, uh-huh. They're <laughs> like, yeah. And I said, okay, never mind. Let me just give you what a prophet said. God changed himself. <laughs> that's it what does it morphe mean God changed his mask same God just different mask hallelujah I'm glad I can know him like that he says we find out that God in the beginning was a great fountain of spirit is that right he had no birthplace he had no oh, he had no dying place he had no beginning of days. Now he's talking about Melchizedek. He had, no di- he had no birthplace. He had no dying place. He had no beginning of days. He had no ending of years. He was just as eternal as eternity is eternal. He never was born. He never did die. <laughs> and this is why I was showing you Wednesday night that the order of Melchizedek, because in the new birth, that's what the order you're called into. 
That's what the, 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 the atonement of Christ does for you. It brings you into the same order. It makes you like Melchizedek. Amen. See? And this was so important, what we were saying from Wednesday night service, because the fact that he had no beginning or he had no ending, so then your life from its, maybe it might have been a horrible beginning and it might have a terrible ending, but, but none of that matters. It's all covered in the sacrifice of Christ. Because you're in the order of Melchizedek. So however you start it, however you finish, you say, yeah, but, but what about, you know, what about everything in, in the middle part? Uh, the beauty of that is he abideth a priest continually. There is a perpetual atonement, a perpetual satisfaction before I can even have a transgression. He's already confessing. Hallelujah, that ought to make us rejoice. In this sick, broken, dying world, we have a right to rejoice. I'm in the order of Melchizedek. He had no beginning. He had no ending. So nothing in my beginning or my ending or anywhere in the middle counts against me. Hallelujah. You know, there was a sister, Dalton, who was concerned about her illegitimate birth. She had been very concerned about it and she wrote to a friend who, you know, who, who took it, you know, to Brother Branham and he, and he wrote back and Sister Rebecca Smith published it in her Only Believe magazine. I, I had Sister Debbie go through our collection. I found exactly the very one. Sister Debbie actually found it. I thought it was pretty hopeless. She found it in about a minute. And that's just the advantage of a smarter wife. And so... So I, I, I tell my, my sons and grandsons, don't ever marry a woman smarter than you. But I did it myself, so I can't hardly enforce that. So, so I, I find that, 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 that he, he, he takes this sister, you know, uh, her, her case, and he's, he's sitting there. And let me see if I can, uh, if I can get it right here. And, and he, says, he, says, he, says, he says it like this. He says, Sister Dalton, he wrote her back a letter and I, I started to put it on the screen. You can actually see, that's a picture of it. That's, that's handwriting right there. And this is Brother Branham's handwriting and signature down at the bottom. And so he writes back to, to his friend, Sister Dalton, sitting here alone with Brother Branham, Ed and Jean and I heard him explain about a bastard child. That's an illegitimate child. It was in the Old Testament, a type of us under grace. Brother Branham said that we are all bastard children and are brought to God by Christ. So get off your high horse. Come on. Amen. You know, but for God, we have no chance. See? We are all bastard children and are brought to God by Christ. We must be rebred by the truth and being born again. Our being born again in Christ changes everything. It changes us from illegitimate to legitimate sons and daughters of God. In Adam, we were of hybrid birth. In Christ, we are of the true birth. And Brother Branham writes down at the bottom in his own hand, Do not fear, Sister Dalton. Your new birth or anyone's new birth corrects it all. Hallelujah. It corrects it all. In the order of Melchizedek, I stand perfect before God. 
And I, and I just say to, I, I say to friends and family and acquaintances, who could not want that? Your new birth or anybody's new birth corrects it all. I mean, here, Brother Branham is literally explaining that, that, th- that this illegitimate birth, literally, that no matter, no matter what has befallen you as children of God, once you're sealed into the kingdom of God and the blood speaks for you, Brother Branham said, God can't even see my sin. He said, Jesus died for me. The blood speaks for me. Hallelujah. See? And, he, and, and so he said, it literally reverses all of our sin condition from birth to death. You know, Ruth was found gleaning in the field. Ruth is a perfect type for us here at the end time because that's why Brother Branham in the breach, at, uh, when he's preaching in the seals, he preaches God in simplicity, and then he preaches on the breach. And there's where he picks up Ruth and Boaz. Boaz is the goel, the, the, the go-between, the redeemer. The, he, go, he, he stepped between uh, Ruth and this, this nearer kinsman because Satan is a nearer kinsman to you when you're born in sin. Yeah. He's, a ne- he's nearer to you because you're born with a fallen nature. Yes. See, but, but so Boaz goes like Christ and says, do you want to redeem him? Satan can't. Satan couldn't redeem God's family. Yes. See, And so, first of all, he didn't have the money and he didn't even have the will. He hates you. Don't feel bad. He hates his own family. Yes. Right? So he hates everybody. He's pure hate. And so, but Boaz steps in and says, then I'll redeem her. And he, you know, he takes his shoe off as a, as a sign. And that was, and he went to the gate. That was the courtroom in the east. And he, he steps out in the middle. That it's, it's, you see that all through the Bible. You see, you see Moses standing there and here's Korah and Dathan. And Moses said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. So Moses now is, a, is, a, is an interceding, he's interceding and keeping everybody alive, alive when judgment's about to fall. Amen. When Moses goes into the pillar of fire, walks right into it without a blood sacrifice, he doesn't die because he's a prophet. And Aaron, who would have died if he went in that presence without blood, except he's with Moses. And since Moses being a prophet, the ministry of the Son of Man is a ministry of atonement. So, so now Aaron can walk right in and out of the pillar of fire and not die. Because he's, he's got a prophet. <laughs> oh, friends. Do you see how valuable a prophet, a prophet was in our day? Because what does a prophet do? He doesn't just get you the anointing. Benny Hinn can get the anointing. He doesn't just get you a blessing. Pay your tithes, you'll get a blessing. But he can actually bring you into the presence. If you come into the presence without a bleeding word, you die. It's worse for you to, to do that. So David did the same thing. David, you know, he, here's Israel and here's the Philistines and here's the devil, here's Goliath. And David steps, he's, he steps in between. Now he's the man in the middle. He's in between Israel. He's there, it's just Christ all through the scripture. So, so we find that Ruth is gleaning in the field. She's a perfect type of the Gentile bride, you and I. Naomi is the type of the old church, the Old Testament church. Boaz is a type of Christ. And he finds her gleaning in the field. And another word for gleaning in Webster's is the word culling. Now, culling is typically used to describe the process of selecting and removing inferior animals or inferior plants from a population to do what? To improve the overall quality. 
So you go into a you go into a garden and you call out the weeds and you call out anything that's in. Remember, Jesus said he tells the parable of the landowner and said, "Here's a tree, and it, all it does is encumber the ground. It uses nutrients and it never brings any fruit. And all the other trees could use it because they're bringing forth fruit." And the man pleads and says, "Let me, you know, dig about and dung it, and I'll fertilize it. And if if no fruit, you know, next season, then fine, we'll cut it down. Why should we let it encumber the ground?" So this is just nature. You understand? So, so, so calling, you know, allows the, the you, you leave the best so that it can be better and you, you take out that which is, which is poor and bad. So, so we find that when Ruth, Ruth comes, that's what she's doing. She's, she's a gleaner. She's, she's gleaning in the field. She's not down picking up uh, chaff. She's down picking up the choice leftovers. Because they were, they were not allowed, the rich men weren't allowed to harvest the corners of their fields because that, that would give the poor, the poor had the rights of the gleaners. They didn't even need permission. They could come into the field and go into the corners and glean. And, and so, so we find that, that, you know, Jesus talks about that in Matthew's gospel. I'll send my angels and they'll separate the good from the bad. Remember that? See? And, and we talk about how that he will... He will, you know, uh, the, the wheat shall go to the barn and the chaff shall be blown away and be burned with un, in unquenchable fire. So this is the process of nature. So this is, what, this is what God is doing. God is going down through the earth and he's gleaning. He's calling. He's, he's taking your life and he's getting rid of all the broken stuff. Oh, hallelujah. And he's only leaving you with what's good. He took away all my doubt and all my fear and all my sin. Took away all my evil desires. I now have no more conscience of sin. I don't want sin. I hate sin. I don't desire it. I want righteousness. That's what he did for Ruth. And and he comes to Ruth in chapter 2. And watch this now. Then she, because Boaz comes to her in the second chapter and says, My daughter, stay right here in my fields. We're right where I found you. Stay right here. Don't go into another field. I'll feed you. I'll protect you. I'll, I've told the young men, don't lay a hand on you. And, and, and I've got all this authority and power, and I, I will see that you get redeem, redemption. And Ruth falls on her face, much like we did when Christ began to tell us how much he loved us. It didn't matter how we were born. It didn't matter what we went through. It didn't matter that we had broken lives as children. Do you think Ruth didn't? She's a heathen, Moabite heathen. Loses her husband as a young widow. And, and she, when he, he's beginning to express all of this love to her, she's a foreigner. She's not even a Jew. Of all, he's rich. Of all the people, of all the maidens he could have went after, he goes after this one broken, widowed Moabite. And she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. I can see myself there. And said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, of me, seeing I'm a stranger? Do you understand? I'm, I'm a, I came, I was a heathen. You do know that, right? You don't know, I got almost nothing I can offer you. I'm a broken widow. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done. 
Oh, he said that to me, friends. I said, Lord, I'm no good. He said, I know everything you've ever done. It doesn't matter. I know about your life. I know what you went through. I still want you. Me, you want me? Yes, I want you. Stay right here in my field. Don't go anywhere. Oh, friends, that's the love of God. I know the world is broken, but God loves you. And, and then he goes down a list. Here's, now watch this. Here's some beauty. Because when he starts naming why he's being kind to her, just like Abraham, who we know that Abraham committed all kinds of transgressions, got caught lying and cheating twice, backslid, Left the promised land. Brother Bram said anytime a Jew leaves promised land, he's backslid. Gets down there, lying, conniving. He loses his, he, you know, he, he, he's worried about his own hide. But, but remember that when, when Paul tells the story, none of, that's, none of that's mentioned anymore. It's like it doesn't even exist, like it was, like it was never part of the record. <laughs> See, because what Paul gets credit for is the one good thing and that is, he never staggered at the promise. Amen. He had all kinds of fleshly failures, but none of that counted after Calvary. Amen. The only thing that counted was his faith in the word of the hour. Amen. And when he names it to Ruth, he says, here's, here's, where, you, here's where you've done good. You, you were good to your mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and has left thy mother and left the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The only thing he names is her good stuff. You think she didn't have problems? You think think Ruth hadn't had a slip or two? You You think Ruth was like some, you know, some perfect Virgin Mary type of girl? She was a heathen. But none of that counted. And when he enumerated, she said, why do you care about me? He said, because you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that. And it was all good. I'm here to tell you, he only sees the good. All the old is gone. You're a brand new creation in Christ. It's a powerful image that conveys the transformative power of Jesus' sacrifice. And the hope it offers to those who seek his forgiveness. I hope you'll seek it today if you don't know it. He's only regarding, I'm here to tell you today, he's ready to forget every mistake you've ever made. And when he's done with you, only the good of you will remain. And, And we're not talking about necessarily, I'm not limiting it to, and in fact, is by comparison, it pales. We're not talking about good in this life, all your good deeds, because your best good deeds are still filthiness to him. You understand? So we're not talking about necessarily, you know, the things you might say, well, I've done this good and I've done that good. There's none good, no, not one. I'm talking about your existence when you were in him. And it's not just good, it's perfect. And that's what he's willing to look at you as, as perfect. The rapture, you understand, friends, that the rapture is the final gleaning 
It's the final gleaning of 2,000 years. So that in the resurrection, you know, he gives you a, a final culling on resurrection morning. You looking forward to it? On resurrection morning, he gives you a final culling that leaves only the remaining parts of you that was in him from the beginning. Even this old body is changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The real you, the real you on that morning, friends. You're going to be so happy with the real you. And can I say to you today that that's really been the real you all along. And I know you haven't felt that way, but that's how God has looked at you. You're going to be on resurrection morning, the real you that he always saw you as. Hallelujah. It connects us to our origin and it connects us to our destination back into eternity before I ever made a mistake, before I ever came into this life and I stand glorified in his presence. It positions me now. I'm going to close with this. It positions me now. Now, therefore, there there is no condemnation possible to them which are in Christ Jesus. It positions me now in heavenly places with Christ right while I'm struggling along here. I'm already now, there is no condemnation. Therefore, to them which are in Christ. Amen. You love the Lord? I got too much to get to. We're going to let you stand. God bless you. Stand with me. Amen. Come, Brother Kenny, and let's uh, sing some songs. And uh, so we'll, uh, Brother Luther, you'll, Sister Melissa, you go back and uh, get yourself prepared. And, and we need some brothers up here to get some stuff moved. Man, come on, G. Usually a helper on this. You don't want to? What? Yeah, yeah. Hey, these guys need help. They're old. <laughs> now don't block that door. You're thrilled with his word today, friends. My, I, it meant so much to me trying to piece it all together. Could feel a, it's a difficult spot to feel a burden from the Lord and, and struggle to try to encapsulate it all and, and bring it down to something that can be preached and explained. We love, we love the Lord. Let's sing, Brother Kenny, while they're prepared. Oh, yeah. Oh, come and watch me burn. Shout it.
Grace and mercy lit a passion Consume my sin Not like a city on a hilltop I'll shine through the night I am a lamb made for his glory I will not hide Oh, I've been touched by Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. Lord. Uh, you can? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, Sister Melissa, how long since you were baptized? Over 20? Did we go to the... Okay, did we... You one of those that got me out in the middle of the night at the cold river? <laughs> I remember those days, sister. I suffered through it, but amen. But I was younger. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're happy. We, I baptized a lot of people down at the river. Amen. Some of them, uh, I remember um, Sister Anna and Brother Jesse went really late, and it was really cold. Amen. But praise the Lord. But I have nothing on Brother Dale. Brother Dale, I think when he baptized William, they broke several inches of ice on a, on a water trough that for cows. <laughs> and so they literally had to break the ice and get done in there. I've never had to do that. So thank the Lord. Amen. Brother Dale's more rugged. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful privilege. We all love Sister Melissa. Happy to see what the Lord has done in her life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, what a grand privilege. What a grand opportunity. Lord, now... This water, of course, it doesn't save a person, Lord. And, and it's not about 
our sister being re-saved or re-redeemed. She could never have been lost anyway, Lord. But life put circumstances upon her that she felt like today she would like to come in open confession, Lord, once more. Lord, I just, I feel your happiness and your joy in this. Lord, it's such a humbling thing to come and be willing, Lord, once more to come into the water, Father. Just to, if for no other reason than to just blast the devil right in the face and let him know that he is completely, absolutely, totally defeated and he will never have victory over this sister again. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit now will once again, as you have already, assure and reassure her, Lord, of your great love, your great compassion. Watched over her life, Lord. I remember the very first time I ever laid eyes on her. Father, And you've brought her from there to here, and here she is today, a living testimony of the love of God, faith in the Word. <clears throat> Lord, I pray your blessing would be upon her now in a many, in a magnified and many multiplied way, as we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord, Sister Melissa. You can hold right up your nose. We're going to take you right down and bring you straight up. Sister, with great privilege in my heart, I baptize you again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Sing for it, Brother Ken. Oh, yes. He's already said that I will. But stand, friend.
Good.